So thankful that you are here with us here today and that we are one as we gather in uh, today. Again, my name is, uh, my name is Alan and uh, glad that you are here to finally finish out the Cleaning Out the Garage series. We're finally going to have a clean garage. Man, our 19-week series is coming to an end here uh, this morning. We're finally going to get through this, and uh, thankful to do that with you. If you are brand new or just visiting with us, this is the last week here in this series. What we've been doing essentially in this series is identifying things that get hidden in our garage. They get hidden on the back of a shelf, and we just get used to them, and we just don't deal with them anymore. And what we've been doing is walking through the past seven weeks walking through what church history is referred to as the seven deadly sins. And so these are things that are, that are less obvious sins or ways that we stumble, ways that we struggle. And so they're often kind of hidden in the garage. That's what we're talking about. We, we, are, we need to come and cleanse that stuff, clean that stuff out. And so the, the final deadly sin that we are looking at today is gluttony. Oh, yeah. We're talking about gluttony today. I don't know why we're ending on gluttony. Uh, that's just the way it landed. But it's one of the seven deadly sins. So we got to go after it. I've never talked about gluttony before. And so we're going to uh, give this a shot. I do have something in front of you here. Do you want to know what it is? It's a little secret thing. You want to know what it is? What? Close. It's Oreo cookies. Yes. <laughs> Dozens. Relax. Relax. Dozens. Dozens of delicious, yummy, God-made Oreo cookies just sitting right there. Now, now, we know that a big pile of Oreo cookies is not healthy for us. I mean, we know that those uh, days when you, you crack open, you know, the bag, the, the thing, you pull that thing over and you get that beautiful sound, and then you just think, I'll just have two. And then, and then uh, soon the whole strip is gone and you're kind of reaching for the next strip over there. And we know that eating a whole uh, batch of Oreo cookies is not healthy for us. No question about that. No one's going to argue that. But what makes it a sin? Okay, these, these little delicious round circles of yumminess. What makes it a sin to consume them? How, how do we enter into the sin mode? How does this make the top seven list of seven deadly sins? How does it make that list? I don't recall ever in the media that they made a big old story about some Christian leader who stumbled into gluttony. I have no, I've known no friends in the ministry who've lost their job because the, the church or the staff realized that they were gluttonous, and so we had to do something to deal with this issue. Some of the other deadly sins, yes, not gluttony. What makes this such a problem? Because these things, as I say, are delicious. Now, I have dozens of them here. If anybody wants to come, come and take, take one. Yeah, come on. Come on. Anybody want to come? Somebody went all over here. Come on. Good job. Good job. Have, have, take, take more than one. Come on. I heard it all over here. Come on. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Come on. Take more than one. Take two. Take some for your friends. Good for you. Good for you. Come on. Come on. Come on. Have another one. Nice job, nice job, nice job, you took two. Let me just tell you, this is, not good, this is an open invitation, okay? 
throughout the message, if any of you just feel so inclined and you can't even concentrate on what I'm saying because of the stack of Oreos, it's ours. This is our church. This is our table. Come on, little man. Come on, little man. Here, can I? Come on. Come on. Here you go. There you go. Good for you. Good for you. Oh, he went down the wrong lane. I hope he's... Oh, there we go. Okay, he's going to... There we go. There we go. Awesome. Okay. Good job. Good stuff. Okay. They're delicious. How could they be sin? And, 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 and so the, the deal is that food is not sin. We are designed... We need food. Food is an essential thing on us. So food isn't sin. And enjoying food is not sin. God made food and made a variety of foods, and so we're supposed to enjoy our food. So what makes this crossover from being, from enjoying food to a deadly sin? How, how does it get there? How, none of you, you, you may be somewhat gluttonous, but you're not, you're not like, you know, well into the deadly sin zone. You just had a couple cookies. And so how does it go from enjoying food to deadly sin? Where, where is that line? Is it Three, five, a whole bag, the whole table. When do, we, when do we cross over? How do we know when we've crossed over in that zone? How can we avoid gluttony if we don't know what it is? So we're going to talk about this seventh deadly sin. And again, during the message, come to the table <laughs> if you'd like. Hey, let's pray and we'll head into this. God, I thank you for food. I thank you that you have created us uh, to need food and that just like many of the gifts that you provide, you set them up so that we can enjoy them. But what happens is we abuse them uh, sometimes. And so God, I pray that we would hear from you, that we would, uh, on this issue of food, which, which can be a, a, a deeply sensitive issue for, uh, for many of us here in, our, in this church, here in our community. God, that you would meet us in that place, that you would speak to us about what freedom looks like in this area of life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, food is a big deal, and I think food seems to be an even bigger deal in our culture now with, with, with our current generation than it has in previous generations. We seem to be, and you can decide if you agree with me or not, but we seem to be obsessed with food. That we talk about food, we write about food, we read about food, we tweet about food, we take pictures of food in ways that no previous generation uh, used to do. And so we are very aware of so many different elements and uh, ingredients and diets, and we think about them all the time, and restaurants are trying to figure this out and have different meals that address paleo and Whole30 and sugar-free and gluten-free and all of these different ways that food is so complicated for us. We are a culture that is obsessed with food right now. We even watch television shows about food. There's a whole network that you are all familiar with, but you might not admit to the person next to you that you watch called Food Network. And we watch shows about the greatest chef or the worst chef in America or the young chefs who do amazing things or cupcake chefs or cake chefs or so many different. I've, I've tried to watch Cupcake Wars with my wife. As much as I love her, I cannot get through an episode. 
I just, I just, this is a whole show on making a cupcake? I'd rather, I'd much rather eat one than watch somebody make one. And so there's just, there's just an obsession in our culture. There's a book that came out a few years back called The Taste of Generation Yum. And it was written by a young woman, a millennial, who's talking about her generation, talking about that generation, and saying from her observation, from her study, the reason for writing the book, again, it's just her thoughts on it, but it's just saying that, that young people today are obsessed with food, and she just looks into that and why that is, and, and um, why food is such a central issue. One of the points she makes in there is that previous generations, like mine, were perhaps more identif- uh, connected with music, that uh, 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 previous generations might kind of connect themselves with music. Of course I did, because I grew up in the 80s, and 80s music is awesome, I don't care who you are. And so, just kind of grew up in that, and that's kind of a connection piece, not so much food, but but the current uh, uh, um, um, millennials, you millennials, according to this book, are very connected with food. And the idea that she brings up is this idea that that because we live in such a technological age and we are so connected with and tied to the screen and the importance of all of that, that there is such a natural desire to connect with one another. And so te- technology is so powerful and amazing. It can do so many things that what food does, it, it forces us to get out of that and to engage with something we can touch, we can smell, and we can taste. And it's a way for us to, to cook together, to meet together, to eat together. And so there's a profound, a significant part of the millennial experience, according to this book, that is stirred by the significance of food. Additionally, the author of this book says that, uh, says that you millennials are, are more interested than previous generations in, in corporate, uh, in uh, national policies with regard to food and how large businesses manage and handle the food industry and how things work. That in the past, we didn't really care. We just wanted to know what was on the table, how much did it cost, and how, mu- how, how much, how, what did it taste like? but that more and more there's an interest in the macro system, that how foods get on our table and how they're prepared and how the farming industry is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and how uh, the national policies are impacting that. For example, there's an obsession in our culture right now for perfect foods, an obsession for perfect fruits, perfect vegetables, that, that look exactly right and don't have any blemishes on them, and they're available all throughout the year. And that journey towards perfect fruits and vegetables, according to her, leads to between a third and a half of produce made in America that ends up getting thrown away. It's filling our, our dump sites because it's part of the experimentation to find out how can we land on perfect food when we have people who need food and are, and are starving. And so there is a generation that's coming up and asking questions that previous generations have not been asking. We are a culture right now that is obsessed with food. Food is a very big deal. And the Bible is not silent on the topic of food. In fact, food has been a significant part of the journey. Food has, uh, throughout the, the um, scripture story, we see food being a significant way that people connect with one another and festivals and, and how we celebrate who God is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The story begins with Adam and Eve and God providing food for Adam and Eve and saying, I will give you these plants and these animals for you to be able to take care of yourself. And this was a gift from God. 
And then later on with the Exodus story, when the Israelites were wandering in the desert, there's a significant part of that story where they did not have food to eat, and so God provided for them manna, which literally means, what is it? That's what, that was this manna, this, this mysterious food that God provided. And God would only provide enough for that day. And so the idea is, God was saying, trust me. I will provide you with sustenance. Trust me, one day at a time. Trust me. Food has been a significant part of the story. We have laws in the New Testament about foods to eat and foods not to eat. And this leads to the whole kosher conversation about what are okay foods and what are not okay foods. And, and that conversation changes in the New Testament when the, 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 the grace of the gospel comes in and says, you know what, we are not going to separate ourselves based on food. And so Paul primarily, uh, Paul and Peter, both of them, they talk about how these things are not going to separate us anymore. That that uh, we are not going to draw lines that we used to draw. And so food becomes a significant way of communicating the gospel. It's a very important part of the story. And gluttony is mentioned numerous times throughout this story. I want to look at a few of them. So first of all, we have Deuteronomy chapter uh, 21, which is uh, near the beginning of the, of the Bible, where uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the fifth book in the Bible, and Moses is credited with writing this. He says in chapter 21, verse 20, and he's talking about what parents are to do when they have a child, a son, who is disobedient and disrespectful. And so they talk, they talk about how to handle this. Verse 20, they shall say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. In the next verse, I, I didn't put it up on the screen here, but it says, then all the men of his town are to stone him to death. Okay, we're not gonna go into that part. That's, that's, not, that's not the point of the message here. But, but the idea here is what we find here is this, 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 uh, this gluttony word here in Deuteronomy chapter 21. Jump to Proverbs, which was written by Solomon, the, the third king of Israel. And uh, Proverbs chapter 23, Solomon gives these words of wisdom saying, listen, my son, and be wise. Set your heart on the right path. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. For drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. Thirdly, I want to take a look at a um, verse from the Gospels. Jesus had a lot of opposition with a group of religious people called the Pharisees. And um, Jesus is, is talking about their response to him. He's actually uh, speaking about himself in Matthew, um, Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. He's talking about himself. He's speaking and he says, the son of man, me, came eating and drinking. And they, the Pharisees, say... Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus himself is referred uh, in, in these ways as well. One thing you might notice here in all three verses that I, that I read is that, is that gluttony is connected with what? With, with drinking, with drunkenness, which I think is fascinating that these two things are, are, are combined. It's both about taking something in and how that can be harmful to us but why is gluttony the one that is listed as one of our seven deadly sins? It's connected with, 
with drunkenness, yet drunkenness, and we know the impact and the effect of drunkenness in our culture, in our relationships, in our families, etc. We know how that can impact and destroy lives. And yet here as one of the seven deadly sins is not drunkenness, but gluttony. Fascinating. So what, what does this word mean? I want to start by looking at the, the Greek word phago. And uh, it literally means, as we would expect, to eat, to devour, to consume. So it's not just nibbling, that, that the idea of, of gluttony is to, is to devour, is to consume something. When we go into the Old Testament, there's, a, there's an added nuance that I think is fascinating here. The word is zalal, and it means to be light or worthless, to make light of. It's, it's not specifically talking about the consumption of food, but, but it's understood that when we combine these together, we get this nuance that says it's about consuming and devouring and doing it and making light of it. It's overly consuming and essentially being careless about it. It's this idea of food is important to us and we need it and we need it for sustenance, etc. But when we do it in a way where we devour it and we are careless in that process, that is is incredibly destructive. Food is a gift given to us from God. It's a gift given to us, and we take advantage of that gift. And so the issue is, how can we manage this in a way that is not careless? But still, talk about careless eating. How does that become a deadly sin? How does this make the list? It's just an Oreo cookie. You want another one, don't you? Yep, I thought you did. He was wiping his mouth, and so, all right, anytime. So, so but how, how does this, it's beautiful, simple little, little, how does this become on the list of seven deadly sins? I want to take a look at one more verse written by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And uh, Paul, if you are familiar with his writings, he likes to, to talk with himself sometimes. And so Paul has these conversations with himself. And he does this once again in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's part of his way of making a point. And so he says here in, uh, in uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 12, I have the right to do anything you say. So he's having a conversation with himself. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to eat, you know, whatever I want, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. And for me, that's, that's the key. I will not be mastered by anything. Gluttony is when food becomes your master. Gluttony is when food, on a number of different levels, starts to control us. When food decides where we go, who we hang out with, it decides what we look like. Food decides, perhaps most importantly, how we feel about ourselves. That we are designed to surrender to Jesus as master. And the problem is, the major problem is that we allow food to be our master. And there's a major warning against that. In the 1800s, there was a French philosopher who said, Dis-moi ce que tu manges et je te dirai ce que tu es. Which means, 
let's cut up the potatoes in little strips and put them in oil. That's what it means. No, okay, that's not what it means. That's not what it means. That's not what it means. Just seeing if you're paying attention. Okay, here's what it means. Literally, here's what, here's what it means. It means, tell me what you eat, and I will tell you what you are. Now, we have a different version of that here, don't we? Right, you are what you eat. I mean, it's, it's kind of this understood phrase, but this French philosopher in the 1800s is credited as, as the first one who, come, who came up with this idea, this concept, you are what you eat. What we take in becomes who we are. I think the human body is fascinating with what it can take in and still function. I think this is fascinating. The, the human body is a machine that requires fuel. That's what it is. That's what it, we need fuel in order to keep on going or we will die. A vehicle, a car, is a machine that requires fuel. And so if you stick with the gas thing, don't go with the electric thing, but if you stick with the gas thing, then the gas that goes in, the fuel that runs that car, needs to be a precise blend and balance of chemistry. It needs to be exactly precise, and if your octane level is just a little bit high or a little bit low, uh, certain engines need certain percentages of this chemical and that chemical, and so the whole thing is a precise engine and needs a certain kind of fuel. Yet we have these bodies that are, that are incredibly powerful engines that run for decades and decades and decades, and they run on a huge variety of fuel. That's fascinating to me, that for people in Central and South America, they have been living for generations and generations primarily on rice and beans. And you've got people in East Africa, East Central Africa, who've been surviving for generations upon generations on ugali and sukuma, these two staple foods in that part of the world. And they're very different foods, and yet they can continue to function. And you've got Germany, where they've been surviving for, for generations and generations on pretzels and beer, and they just continue to roll on that. And so we can consume all sorts of different food, and the machine, the body, keeps working. We can eat Oreo cookies. You want another one? We can eat Oreo cookies and survive for a long time. It's terrible fuel, and, and it's, you're, the engine's not going to run nearly as well as it runs on other things, but the human body that God created, it can survive on a wide variety of different things. It's fascinating. It's almost like if you remember the movie Back to the Future from 1985, at the end of the movie and the DeLorean comes back and they fuel it with just a bunch of garbage. They have the thing in the back, just put whatever into the back of it, and that has an engine that is sophisticated enough to run on almost anything. That's what God created in your body. It's amazing, but you are what you eat. And this, this is an important, it's not just a, a physical health concept, but it very much is a spiritual concept as well. You are what you eat. The reason that's so important is that there's, there's nothing more important in, in your life, in the days that you have left, in the years that you have left, there's nothing more important than who you are, than what you are. And so what we take in shapes what we are. I talked about this last week with lust, one of the other deadly sins, that what we choose to take in, what we choose to look at, what we choose to read, what we choose to absorb in a number of different ways, what we choose to eat is a significant factor in terms of who we are and what we become. Now, God is not just focused on the end result. 
God is not just kind of, hey, you run your thing and kind of we'll see how things land on the end. God is always interested in the process, in the process of decisions we make along the journey. God is there for every one of those decisions because God is interested in the process, not just the end result. God is interested in who you are, not just what you do. It's not just an ends piece. It's the means that is so important for our creator. We talk a lot around here about realizing your role in God's story. There is a macro amazing story and you have a role to play in it as fathers and mothers and sons and daughters and husbands and wives and and employees and neighbors and friends and servants and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That we have these significant roles to play in the kingdom. But it's not just about, about, about finishing that role or the final place on that role. It's always about the process of how we become the men and women that God has called us to be. It's always about the process. It's not about finishing the race. It's about running the race. That God is, God is always, always interested in, in, the, in the process. And you are what you eat. And so every step of the way is important to God. It's an essential element important to God in that journey. So throughout this journey, we've been looking at three steps to, uh, to clean out the garage. And so we want to do that one final time. It, it, it impacts our physical garage and how we do that. And then our spiritual garage is how we take care of that. That the first step is identifying that sin, identifying that sin in our lives. And for most of us, this one is pretty easy. You know, this one, we're very aware, perhaps painfully aware of those experiences, those moments where we slip into gluttony and we kind of, you know, we're painfully aware of, the, the, of identifying it. No problem there. I want to jump to the second part is examining it. So once we look, okay, I've, I've uh, this thing has become, a, um, uh, uh, has become a master in my life. Why? Why? Am I careless about that type of food? Why am I careless in that setting or that situation? Food is a complex issue. We don't just eat because we're hungry. We all know this. We eat for a, a variety of different ways. We don't just eat what we're hungry. Comedian Jim Gaffigan, he says that, uh, he says, I can't stop eating. He says, I can't. He says, I haven't been hungry in like 12 years. And so just the reality of I just, I don't eat because I'm hungry. I just eat. We eat for a number of different reasons. We eat because we're sad or we're lonely or we're angry. And so we, we go to food. Food is way more than just a, a hunger issue, especially for us in our culture. Jim Gaffigan adds, he says that his wife will sometimes look at him eating when he's not hungry, but he's eating for another reason. And she will say to him, you're just eating your feelings. You're just, maybe you've heard this before, you're just eating your feelings, to which Jim Gaffigan says, yeah, but they're delicious. <laughs> so so we, we have a number of reasons that we might uh, get after food and go, go after this. So it's important to examine it. Why do I tend to be careless with that particular type of food, with that particular, um, with that particular part of my life? For me, I tend to eat when I'm bored. I tend to be gluttonous when, when I'm bored, when I'm just, it's just, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm busy doing something, I'm really not concerned about food. But if I'm, if I'm watching TV, 
then my, you know, I'm just sitting there. I got to do something with my hands. I might as well go hand to mouth. I mean, I might as well kind of keep the, keep the, I might as well just snack on something. Or if I'm done with dinner and I have no plan for after dinner, no plan for what to do, what I want to accomplish, then unless I'm intentional, I just think, well, I know what I could do. I could keep eating. That was fun. I could keep that going. And so there's, there's, a, there's a boredom thing for me. And so, but what, what, what is it for you? What is the, what is the trigger? What, it's a matter of examining this and saying, what, what, is the, what is the issue here? Like I said, food is a very complex issue. And, and so for some, it's a, it's a matter of, of devouring and overly consuming. But the careless concept of food can also show up on the other end where it's not just about eating too much, it can show up on the side of, of eating too little or not eating. And so we're aware of some of the serious medical issues that can surface on that end. But once again, it is a, it is a careless use of food. It is allowing food to be our master. It is allowing food to control us, and that is the, the gluttonous piece. It's important for us to examine why do I tend to be careless in that part of my life? What, what itch am I trying to scratch? What hole am I trying to fill? Because that food that I'm eating is not helping. And then finally, to deal with it. That when we identify and examine something from the garage, we don't want to just put it back where it was before. We want to deal with it. What am I going to do? How am I going to handle this differently next time? And again, the issue is, is not letting food become a master. That gluttony is when food becomes our master. It is a self-discipline issue. It is a, it's one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's something that, that the power of the Holy Spirit can develop and grow in us to, to, to uh, get stronger in that area. So that this is not something that when we say, I want to stop eating these, that no longer it has control over us, but we have control over it. How do we get to that point? How do we, how do we um, uh, move in that direction where it does not control us, but we control it? That, that we are what we eat, but with regard to food, we always get to decide what goes in. What goes in. I mean, very, very rarely in our culture is something force-fed to us. We get to decide what goes in. It's not reasonable to blame the cook when you choose to eat five desserts. We can't blame somebody else on this. We get to decide what goes in. So how can we deal with this? How can we deal with this issue? There's a, a woman on staff here um, named Debbie Quigley. She's been on our, uh, with our staff for, uh, for uh, some time now. And, and she has had a profound encounter with God through food. It literally has saved her life. And so as a result, she has dived into this topic and learned a number of things about the way the food system works and about uh, what God has to say about this. And, and so she has, I've learned some things from her and she's taught uh, a few other people. And so I've asked her as a part of this message, if she would do a four-week journey to just kind of walk this through a little bit. That's a picture of her, and, and so uh, she's called it Nature's Pharmacy. I don't, she can't spell, but she's really good at, <laughs> she's really good at kind of understanding the impact of food. Let me just tell you, this isn't a book. We're not selling anything. It's not a diet. It's not a do this, don't do that. It, it's an open conversation 
to, with somebody who has learned a lot about this area to say, what are the foods we eat? What do they mean? What are they doing for us? So an, an open, non-judgmental way of just kind of interacting and saying, if this is an area for you that you'd be uh, interested in learning more. It's starting uh, two Tuesdays from now, March 5th, uh, 6.30 um, on Tuesday nights for four weeks. If you're interested, just fill out the card you received or let us know and uh, we'll make sure that there's a, there's a space for you uh, for that. But here's something really important. Whether you choose to do these four weeks or, or you're on a diet right now or you're, you're reading books about what God has to say about how to eat or whatever. Again, food is a big issue for us, but whatever your journey might be, here's something really important to remember. That eating healthy is not the same as spiritual maturity. This is, this is a big issue, and it's, it's mentioned in Scripture, and gluttony is a spiritual issue and all that, but eating healthy is not the same as connecting with your Heavenly Father. Being thin is not the same as spiritual maturity. And on the flip side, struggling with, with, with food or whatever is not the same as being spiritually distant from God. We just need to be careful with, with those are the health and the sin part. They're, they're, they're related, but they're not equated. And so we, we need to be careful with those two pieces as, as, we, uh, uh, as we proceed. That spiritual maturity is about being free from this as your master. Spiritual maturity is, is about self-discipline and saying this does not control me. I will enjoy it as a gift from God, but it is not my master. I will not be mastered by anything. Take those words from Paul. I will not be mastered by anything. You are what you eat. Like I said, Google will tell you that that phrase came from this French philosopher in the 1800s, but something I learned this week is that there was evidence of this phrase many, many, many years before that. 1,400 years before that, in the fourth century, there was a saint in the church named St. Augustine. And he is reported as saying, as he talked about the act of communion, this, this um, historical part of the Christian journey, when he was talking about this act of communion, taking in the, the bread and the cup, he says that, that we become what we consume. That's the same phrase, right? He's talking about communion, and he's basically saying we are what we eat. We become what we consume. So as we close here today, we're gonna take communion. And let this be a way of saying, food will not be my master. Jesus, you are my master. We're gonna take communion and celebrate that today. If you're visiting with us, we practice open communion. That means that you are welcome to participate in communion with us as long as you are a follower of Christ. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, we would love to celebrate this with you. As the band comes out and leads us in a song, I'd love to uh, uh, pray with you. Um, Father, I thank you for the uh, gift of your son. We remember that, we celebrate that here today. We want to be changed by your presence in our lives, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.